I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's competition time. If you're listening to this, then like us, you probably love listening to loads of podcasts. So we're giving you the opportunity to win a pair of Apple AirPods. Click the link in the show description or... Just visit our website, neonpodcast.com now, to find out how you can win a pair for free. Good luck. I love you. Always have. I want to marry you. And I, you, you and no other. I came back home to raise crops and a family. If I can live in peace, I will. We will be more merciful than they have been. We will spare the women and the children. For all else, no mercy. I want this Wallace's heart on a plate. Where are you going? I'm going to pick a fight. Well, you didn't get dressed up for nothing. England and tell them Scotland is free. This one will fight forever. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Every man dies. Every man really lives. Hello, and welcome to Neon, the podcast that takes pop culture strips it away and extracts historical goodness from it. Before I go into what exactly we're doing in this particular podcast, I thought it's worth pointing out, do you know what? I've made it hard for myself recently. Don't get me wrong, I've had a lot of fun, but some people would find it very hard to get some good historical information out of the likes of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, a phrase I did previously promise I wouldn't say much ever again, and I've already broken that rule. So the point is, yes, I do sometimes do video games and comics and silly things like the A-Team and get it all the way over to the Vietnam War, 
but I do also look at historical movies. The other thing recently, with the likes of those turtles and others, is I pick stuff that I really enjoy. Maybe I've got a soft spot for. But on this occasion, and it's been a while, I've picked something that is a historical type movie that I really don't like. And I'm going to be telling you why and sharing it with you. So, brace yourselves, because this one is going to be about Braveheart. Which means, of course, we're going to be talking a fair bit about nine-year-old girls. We're also going to be talking about kilts. And we're going to be talking about a man called Andrew Moray. You've been here for three and a half hours. How many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot? As your leader, I encourage you from time to time, always in a respectful manner, to question my logic. Now to run a computer check on this tape and the professor. Dodge this. The tracks go off in this direction. Let's dive into this, shall we? The 1990s movie Braveheart, directed and starring Mel Gibson, is a multiple Oscar winner. And I want to be quite clear about this. From the point of view of it being a movie, it's a great movie. Really, it's got a heroic figure in the centre of it who, spoilers, <laughs> well, I mean, the movie's over 20 years old, the, the, the history's uh, nearly 700 years old, give or take, so, you know, really not much of a spoiler, who sacrifices himself for the good of his country. It's a great tale, and the baddie's really bad, and to be fair, you can see why it was an Oscar contender, because it looks gorgeous and the battle scenes are visceral so if you want to put it into the same category as the likes of lord of the rings and game of thrones it works pretty well but as i have said in previous podcasts if something's fantastical and silly and it gets some things wrong with history I'll let that pass. I mean I'll point out what the differences were but clearly the intent of the creators is to entertain and not start telling you factual information. And really, Braveheart does sell itself as being a historical drama. One of the first things you see flashing up on the screen is Scotland, 1280 AD. As soon as you got dates on the screen, you start assuming that they've done their homework. I'm about to eviscerate the very first minute of the movie very shortly, okay? So, the thing is, if we're looking at something like Vikings or Braveheart, if they get something wrong, it's worth pointing it out. However, I do do another podcast. I'm not a very brief plug on it. It's called Condensed History Gems with a G. I do it with a good friend of mine called Greg Chapman, who's a juggler and tends to go to lots of historical reenactments and stately homes. And we have fun and we have debate and banter. And he made a very good point about Braveheart a while ago, saying, look, we're talking about a movie that was made in the mid-1990s. That's just before the internet became a thing. 
And fast-forwarding 20-odd years, we're now at the stage where any movie that comes out gets heavily scrutinized. We're, we're at the point where we're now getting reviews of trailers for movies that haven't even come out yet, okay? And also, the internet has shown how divisive the world has been. If a movie comes out and everybody says it's great, well then, pretty quickly there's some sort of backlash to that, referring to everybody who liked the movie as sheeple, and like, well, why didn't you like th this one over here? And uh, it's very divisive and blah, blah, blah. So the point is, if Braveheart had come out, let's say, six months ago, then there would be tons of videos on YouTube, podcasts, reviews on Amazon, for heaven's sakes, pointing out, do you know what? This is basically made up. So it's only because it came out before the populist movement of the internet that it's kind of been given a bit of a pass and has managed to seep itself into, into the subconsciousness of, not particularly Scotland, rather than being sort of picked around and kicked around saying, look, fun film, but please don't take this as actual history. OK, so if anybody's listening to this and going, oh, hang on, I recognize his accent and that's not a Scottish accent. OK, fine. My name is Jem Daduchu. I think that indicates it pretty strongly. It's not an English name. I don't have a drop of English blood in me. Both my parents were born outside of England. Yes, I may have been brought up in England, but I didn't have any vested interest in what was happening to the Scottish borders 700 years ago. OK, that's part one. Part two, look, I have got into big arguments with people online about having the audacity to say that King Arthur's a legend and Robin Hood's a legend, okay? Actually, the first person I ever banned on my Facebook page was somebody who was so angry at me about having a go at Robin Hood. Anyway, William Wallace did exist, okay? And the events that are described in the movie, loosely, very loosely speaking, are a real period of history. But it has all been so blown out of proportion, so distorted to make a good movie, that it has far more in common with the likes of Lord of the Rings than a history book. Okay? Hopefully we've got that out the way. The next thing worth saying is, where do we get this information from? Well, actually, contemporary chronicles about William Wallace are slim, to say the least. There's hardly anything about him. However, a little over 150 years after he was executed, we have a man called Blind Harry, a bard who writes a tale about William Wallace, picking little bits of information that really happened and then weaving in a jolly good, very nationalistic, very pro-Scotland story that shows William Wallace, well, he's even referred to as seven foot tall in the actual poem that he created. So let's not take that as being history, but it's a good tale. A bit like Mort Darthur about the Arthurian legend, okay? And indeed, it's even worth mentioning that that legend, that tale got evolved because in the earliest version, no wife of William Wallace is mentioned. Later on, basically somebody paid to add the story of their family name being put in there as the name of the wife who marries uh, William Wallace. You get the idea. So the whole thing is a story. So 
Back to the movie. It opens with Scotland 1280, and the events it's describing at the beginning of the film is the death of Alexander III and the crisis in Scotland because Alexander had no heir. Okay, fine. True. This is all true. He died in 1286. I mean, come on. You know, can you not even check the basic facts? It would have cost them literally nothing else to have just changed that date and nobody would have cared except, you know, historians who have to care about this stuff. Okay? That's terrible. Oh, by the way, as that's flashed up, you get a line, something along the lines of, Englishmen will say I'm a liar. And it's like, Okay, it's not an Englishman, it's historians who actually know the facts who are going to say that this is one big, colossal, big-nosed lie, okay? Fine. So, let's talk a little bit about how Scotland's portrayed. Once again, it looks gorgeous. But you have what that looks like Hobbiton. And Scotland was a feudal society very similar to the likes of England and France, okay? And yes, there were teeny tiny little hamlets all over Europe, but, you know, you have proper towns as well. This is created to give them a kind of almost otherworldly, sort of Celtic-y kind of feeling to it all, which didn't happen. The other thing that's discussed, you know, and it's either outright stated or indeed insinuated, is that the English have been conquering and ruling Scotland for decades, and that's also not true. You see, what happened was, and let's let's bring in one of the people from this movie, but not the one you're thinking of. Let's bring in Edward I, who is known as Hammer of the Scots, and in this, he might as well be Emperor Palpatine, the way he's portrayed. Now, look, Edward, okay? He was very much a man of his time. This is a man who, before he was king, he had to fight in an English civil war to get the throne back for his dad. This is a man who went on crusade, who felt passionately enough about that, that he, he went all the way to the Holy Land. And there, in his own private chambers, he was attacked by a Muslim assassin with a poison dagger, and he had to beat the man to death with a wooden stool. He's tough, okay? And of course, yes, he conquered Wales and created some of the finest examples of medieval castles that have ever been constructed. He was a martial, brutal man, but he was a man of his times. The other thing that's worth mentioning is it was under Edward I that the Jews get expelled from England, not to return until the time of Oliver Cromwell. Does that make him a heaving anti-Semite? Well, in modern terms, you might well say yes, but he wasn't particularly anti-Semitic. It just seemed Europe was, okay? Sorry about that, but it's worth pointing out that he certainly was not the first king to expel Jews from his, uh, from his lands. France had done it decades decades earlier. And for the record, it was one of the most popular things that Edward did in his entire reign. So showing you how deeply anti-Semitic Western Europe was to Jews even in the 13th century, okay? He basically kicked them out, nothing to do with their religion, but because he owed them quite a lot of money. It's quite a clever move if you, in essence, outlaw the banks that you have to pay money back to. Cynical, Wicked, maybe, but eminently practical, okay? So, Edward, you want to find stuff to hammer him on? You can. But you've got to look at what makes a good medieval ruler according to the rules of medieval times. 
You need someone who's strong, who's powerful central authority, who's effective at fighting and defending your lands and conquering other lands, and he does all those things. And while, yes, he is remembered as Hammer of the Scots, it's also worth pointing out that the other title he had during his lifetime was Flower of Chivalry, and he was known as an excellent diplomat, and that is why the Scots turned to him. You see, Alexander III, there's a joke about Alexander amongst historians, I'm not saying it's a good joke, but it was Alexander III was a man in a hurry, and the reason for that was he was getting on in his years, and his wife, his first wife had died, so he married a much younger woman. And the reason for this is he had no heir. no He had no male heir that had lasted up to adulthood. So he desperately needed somebody else to keep the line going in the Kingdom of Scotland. And one stormy night, he decided that he was going to ride his horse in the dark in the middle of a storm to get to his new wife because he was in the mood to get that family started. Okay? And this was against the advice of his council around him. And the next day, when he had not arrived at his destination, there was a big search put out for him. He was found dead with his horse at the bottom of a small cliff. In other words, he had ridden off a cliff in the middle of the night. Such was his haste at trying to keep propagating the family tree, okay? He said euphemistically. Anyway, the point was that all happened in 1286. And at that point, there was then problems in Scotland. Who gets the throne? And so the Scottish nobles turned to Edward, a wise ruler who's obviously right next door. Let's find out what he has to think. And you know what? Edward came up with a really good idea. There was still a member of the royal family up in Norway. Some of the Scottish royals had married into the Norwegian royals, and there was a nine-year-old girl first nine-year-old girl, by the way, um, who was called Margaret, but referred to as Maid of the North. And what Edward suggested was fairly intelligently, why don't you bring her down from Norway to Scotland? And you know what? My son, also called Edward, uh, he could become, he, both of them were children, they can marry and that will unite the crowns of Scotland and England. Everybody thought this was a good idea. This was not Scots, Scottish being forced into it. That's going to come a bit later, okay? And it is just worth mentioning, Edward I was not the first king of England called Edward. Edward I's dad, Henry III, was so enamoured with Edward the Confessor. You remember the guy died in 1066? That's who Edward's named after. So how could Edward I be Edward I? That's because there were three kings in a row of England who were all called Edward, Edward I, second, and third. Okay, I've just mentioned two of them, Edward III much later. Let's, he will be mentioned in passing in this one, by the way. So Edward I was not the first king of England called Edward, but he was the first of these three, hence why he became known as Edward I. Also, Anglo-Saxon kings didn't tend to have Roman numerals after their names. Let's not get into that. But when Edward VIII abdicated in the middle of the... 20th century, or in the 1930s, I should say. It sounds like there's only ever been eight. There have actually been good pub quiz knowledge here. There's actually been 11 King Edwards of England. There we go, because Edward I was the fourth one. That was part one of Neon's thoughts on Braveheart. So coming up in a few days, there will be part two for you to enjoy.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.